All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Tech Talks, where uh, today I'm not exploring the landscape of learning technology. Today, we're going to be kind of looking back at two years of, of learning technology. I'm going live a few minutes early just so I can get through some of this stuff. I know people end up wrapping up meetings and things like this before they join, so I figured I'd take care of this now. And uh, then that way, by the time people join, because I've got a lot to cover in two years of exploring learning technology there is no shortage of things that uh, I've observed and learned along the way, and I figured I'd cover as many of them as I can while at the same time answering questions. So for those of you who join live, feel free to chime in on things along the way, and I will answer questions as we go. Uh, but before we do, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping stuff. Uh, I am here in Waukesha, as always. Uh, no guests, so no icebreaker today. I don't have an icebreaker unless somebody throws one out, and then maybe I'll answer it. But I am just getting back. This is my first week back after some time off with the family. I had a chance to spend some time with our, our well, with my family. We had the newest edition, which I did decide to bring a picture of him alongside. Uh, so this is his second, well, this is number five, Harrison holding his little brother. Our newest edition, Barrett Christopher, is uh, doing well. He's sleeping right now. But uh, so hopefully no distractions from that as we get in here. But what I'm going to do, so this week, in addition to all the other stuff going on, coming back, readjusting to things, Learning Tech Talks celebrated two years uh, since I started this. And so I started this back with Chris Rainey and the HR Leaders team. Then as I got access to learning or LinkedIn Live, uh, ended up bringing it over to my account and have been doing doing this every week, I think almost, with a few exceptions around holidays, things like that, exploring the landscape of different technologies, having lots of different conversations. It hasn't all been tech, but there has been a lot that has been covered. And so I wanna do as much as I can over the next hour and two minutes to give some perspective on some of the things I've seen as I've been down this path, as well as cover off on some of the predictions and the things that I think this is going to lead and also make some recommendations because I know there's a fair amount of vendors in the space that also tune into this in where I think there's still opportunity for our industry to grow. So this will be a bit of a transformational uh, conversation for practitioners and hopefully the tech industry as well and, and the vendor industry who's supporting us. Because again, I started this show because I recognize we can't do it without our vendor partners. And I think that's one of the barriers that we have to get over is this idea that, right, we're adversaries. We really are partners in this. And hopefully this show has helped bring that together. So I'm, I didn't bring a party hat or anything like that, even though it's kind of a birthday party thing. But let's just jump into it. Again, I've got the comments up, so feel free to jump in along the way. And, um, you know, one of the things that has been interesting is that I talk to a lot of people about how they're feeling about things, especially the last 18 months. Boy, let me tell you, when I started learning Tech Talks in October of 2019, I did not expect that in February of 2020, <laughs> the whole world was going to explode and so many things were going to change, uh, which, which it turned out actually this has been a, a good source of of intel for me to know how to navigate some of these things, but I have found that it's actually helped a lot of others along the way figure out how do you make sense of this chaos and what is changing. And one of the things that continues to pop up as I talk to people is there is a lot of people feeling overwhelmed right now, especially if you're in the field of learning and development, because it can feel like the ground underneath you is just shifting and shaking and cracking apart. And one of the things that's been interesting is I've watched what's happened over two years, but even this last year is a lot of the shifts and changes aren't necessarily as dramatic as they sometimes are made out to be. So there's a lot of terminology changes. There's lots of new things being said, words being thrown around, things like that. But a lot of it, not all of it, is is a repackaging of what's been done before. Now, I don't say that in like a dismissive way as though, oh, there's really no change. The industry is exactly where it is. We are where we were five years. We're not. Believe me, we're not. And as I get into some of this stuff, 
you're going to see, you're going to hear my take on how, how transformative some of this stuff is. But at the same time, it's, it's different applications of things that are very familiar. So when I talk to people who are feeling overwhelmed by what's going on and concerned that they may not fit in this new world, or this is a wildly different skill set, a completely different world we're navigating, I just want to encourage people to say, what I'm seeing in all the conversations I have, all the directions I'm going, all the analysts I talk to, all the different companies I work with, is there's still a very familiar space that we're working in. So let's talk a little bit though, because it can be easy to say, you know, well, what is familiar then? So, and we'll talk about what's different and that's where I'll spend a majority of the time. But I really do wanna highlight some of the things that as I've looked at this stuff, as I've had all these conversations and then reflect back, there is a lot of familiarity that I still see. Now, one of the things that probably is new though, right? One of the things that is very new is, well, actually, no, let me pause here. I'm going to step back. What's familiar? We're still solving business problems. We still need to take the time to diagnose what's going on. We still need to figure out where the root problem is. We still need to come up with solutions. We still need to, right? Addy, again, don't shoot me for bringing up Addy, but that concept of understanding a problem, coming up with a solution, doing something about it, and then figuring out whether it worked or not, that's not going anywhere. So if you got into learning and development because you like solving people problems, you're still welcome here. This is still going to be a place that you're going to find uh, genuine satisfaction. Now, granted, the way we do that, and I think that's what I'm going to reflect on over the next hour or so is the fact that the way we do the things that we've done is changing dramatically. And I think that's one of the things, if we can find that anchor point and say, okay, we're going to be doing things, it's going to look different, but we're still doing the things that we need to do. Granted, I think we can be doing better, but that that should hopefully bring some comfort and familiarity to, to where things are at. But let's talk about what's new, because a lot is new. Like I said, a few minutes ago, I had no way of knowing in October of 2019 when I started learning Tech Talks that the world would implode a few months later. So there are some things that are relatively new. I would say relatively new. And, and let me bring these up. Uh, one of the things is the expectations on learning and talent development by organizations is higher th than ever. And it just keeps growing. There are a lot of people that I've talked to over the last year who have for years said, I want a seat at the table. We need a seat at the table. We need to be part of these conversations that suddenly got thrust into these conversations and realized, well, maybe I wasn't ready for this or I wasn't actually thinking that this was what was going to happen, which is all the more reason why I think it's so important we're staying ahead of the curve up to date on these things is the opportunity for us to be at the table is higher than ever. And the expectation on us is just going to continue to grow. And I think that's where I encourage every my own teams, everybody I talk to in the field is that we cannot sit still as practitioners. We can't. Uh, the, the tech industry is moving fast, but we've got to almost stay ahead of that so that we can inform what's going on and, and can push back and say, this is what's really needed as an organization or by us as an organization. So like I said before, while much of what we do is similar, how we do it is being completely blown up. So the possibilities are being absolutely blown up left and right. And I'll talk about some of the big areas, the categories where I see that happening and, and we'll dig into that and I'll, I'll break that down. And again, feel free to ask questions. I know sometimes when I get rolling, I just start going and, and not everybody's on the boat with me. So feel free to rein me in as we do this. I think the other thing that's exciting though, as a change for us, as an opportunity for people potentially looking at going into learning and development or who may be here is there's a really unique opportunity growth for us to specialize very deeply. As this technology continues to diversify and specialize, that also gives us opportunity to specialize. So if you've been in L&D and have felt, ah, I don't always like the fact that I feel like I have to wear all the hats, you, 
I would say in the next few years, if not already, you don't need to. You, now, granted, in some organizations, you might still need to, but there is becoming more and more opportunity as, as the tech diversifies, as the capabilities diversify, to be able to specialize and really go deep, deep, deep in a certain area and, and be comfortable there and stay ahead, feel like you're constantly growing, not stagnating. That was the thing that I think I saw before was if you went really deep in L&D in a specific area, it used to be the case where you would end up stagnating because it just really wasn't changing that much. And so you'd end up on repeat in many regards, where now that that T shape, that T just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I think that's an amazing opportunity for professionals who may really love a specific area of learning and development, but are, are concerned that, well, but can I really just go there and stay there? And you can while still growing. The need for digital acumen is at an all-time high, and it's only going to continue to grow. So I would say 2020s explosion only accelerated that for people who may have been putting that on the back burner and saying, well, I'll get to that. I'll get to this whole digital transformation thing at some point. You've got no choice anymore, and it's not going away. So the one thing that if you're in learning and development and you don't like tech or you don't want to really have anything to do with it, that's an area that could be of concern for folks. But we'll, we'll tie why that should be exciting for us, not concerning. So again, I, I think, and this is just more the soft side of things, that need for constant development, I would say is, is somewhat new. Granted, I would argue that we probably should have always been doing this, but if anything, in the last two years, the risk of stagnating as a learning professional, as a learning and talent professional, the risks of doing that are higher than they've ever been. And so if anything, pushing our industry and the practitioners say, you have to keep growing and pushing yourself and pushing things forward, or you run the risk of, of going the way of the dinosaurs is, is really true. I think we've said that for a long time, but it hasn't really come to fruition. More and more people I talk to are starting to see that, and it's coming true. It's coming true, and I think it's only going to get more intense. Now, that's a little bit, that could sound doom and gloom, but I'm, I'm really excited to dig into the exciting side of what is possible. How am I seeing things change? Because I talk and see a lot of tech and talk to a lot of organizations, and I'm seeing how some of this stuff is playing out, some of the promises that are being made, how it's delivering on those promises, how we need to think about it. I think some of this tech, we're, we're thinking about it in the wrong way. So hopefully I can bring some clarity in terms of use cases or things like that. And just hopefully again, share some opportunities also for, for the tech industry to be able to say, hey, if, if you could dive deep or go further here, this is where we need you. This is where we need to take things. You've spent a lot of time over here and this is something I'll get into. There's a lot of time being spent over here that I think would be better served here. Now, Let's get into it. Let's get into the tech. Again, I'd encourage anybody who wants, feel free to jump in, ask a question along the way, stop me, tell me to rewind if I go too fast or too far or go on a tangent, be like, land the plane, Christopher, you're, you're rolling too much. Um, one thing I will say right out of the gate, I'm not going to create a category for AI automation. You're not going to hear me talk about that as a thing, because honestly, what I've seen in the last two years is that Artificial intelligence and automation is touching every single aspect of the tech stack a lot. I mean, it's influencing everything. So to put it in its own category, well, why didn't you say AI is what's changing? Because it's it's changing. It's like saying oxygen affects the world us as people. Well, well, yeah, it does. And AI is affecting literally everything. And honestly, I don't see that going away anytime. So if anything, it's only going to increase more. So just so you know, if you don't hear me talking a lot about AI machine learning, I might mention it in reference to how it's impacting some of the specific capabilities, the specific advancements in certain technologies, but I'm not going to sit and, and spend a lot of time talking about AI because it is so threaded into just about everything. So let me switch over to the actual tech and what I've what I've been seeing with a lot of the vendors I've talked to and just from a capability standpoint, and I'm going to put these in a bit of an order. And the order is where I'm seeing the most stuff 
popping up, changing, evolving down to where the, some of the least stuff, but I think there might be some opportunity along the way to actually amplify that because I think there's some things that we're not doing enough of that we need to be doing more of. The most obvious, and this is one that I think anybody would recognize is virtual experience. We want, and I'm talking virtual meetings, virtual events, virtual platforms, these kinds of things. They, now, now here's where the nuance is, because from an innovation standpoint, I've, I've talked to, uh, and I'm not going to mention names because I don't want anybody thinking I'm trying to advocate or, or suggest that these certain vendors are the ones you should go for. But I've talked to a number of companies out there who are starting to have done a lot of work in the virtual experience standpoint, webinars, broadcasts, live streams, things like that. Tons of money went into this because it had to. So at the beginning of 2020, when the pandemic hit and everybody went virtual, lots of innovation happened. But honestly, I'm still pretty underwhelmed by what where we're at with it. That's my take on it. I think a lot of the things that I've seen as big innovations were just catching up to where we need to be. If you look at what's happening with the virtual stages, the virtual platforms, they're better they're definitely better, but I don't know that you're going to see anything that's just radically innovative in most of them. That's been my experience. If people have had other experiences, I'd love to hear from that. But mine has been, we're getting to where we should be in the digital age where the workforce is distributed, where people are not always in the same places, where events need to be both virtual and in person at the same time type of a thing. I feel like the tech is now caught up to where it should be today, but I'm not necessarily seeing any groundbreaking, mind-blowing innovations. Now, the one exception, this is where the lines are blurring a little bit. Immersive tech is starting to play in this virtual meeting collaboration space a little bit more. To me, I, I'm, I'm jury's still out on whether it's really solving a problem. Uh, you know, I would almost rather see see someone like this, then talk to a digital version of them since we're sitting just on camera anyway. Now, again, there's there's things to be considered in terms of navigating and doing different things like that. But realistically, I, I don't know that that's a, a radical transformation. So anyway, so virtual experience is one I still, there was a big boom of it, big boom of it in the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was trying to get on the virtual train. We had Lots of virtual platforms popping up. I've actually seen a pretty big consolidation of that now. Everybody's kind of come back down to earth and the feature sets are pretty standard. So if, if anybody's seen anything radically different in the virtual space, let me know. But that's been my experience. I'd love to. I have a couple people planned on coming onto the show later next year who are where I will say I've seen a big difference. But again, I still feel like it was just getting us caught up to where we needed to be was virtual events. If you're doing, if you're in L&D and you're doing anything with virtual events, pre-pandemic or even early pandemic, it was pretty painful. The experience was not good, uh, both from a, if you were hosting it, if you were in the meeting as a participant, they were, they were painful. I can't count how many events and conferences I went to early in the pandemic that it was, it hurt. It hurt to be there. And I would say now we're getting to a point where it's good. It's 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 good. It's not a bad experience. We're seeing some of the capability build up. Um, but again, anything mind blowing in terms of innovation, I have yet to see anything like that. Now, here's probably the biggest one. The biggest thing across the board that I am seeing happening in the tech space is there is a ton of effort. And I would almost say this is one of the areas that I think we might be over-indexing in. So vendors, listen up. I think we may be over-indexing on personalization. Now, I say this with caution because I do think what we're doing with personalization is really powerful. I think it's extremely powerful. Now, also, I want to differentiate what I mean by personalization because Personalization means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Where I've seen a lot, lot, lot of innovation go into this is in content personalization. This goes back to that term of 
Netflix for learning. I don't like the term, but the bottom line is a lot of investment has gone into that. A lot of investment has gone into how do we serve up and curate things that are more relevant to people than they have been in the past. So has our have our algorithms gotten better at that? They have. Has the technology done a better job of figuring out what's in content and making recommendations? It has. Have we made some major steps? This is another part of personalization. So some of it is, I said I wouldn't talk tons about the AI side, but this is an area where AI is doing some pretty imp impressive stuff from the content standpoint is it's doing a relatively good job of picking up on multiple data points and then saying, hey, this is probably something that may be relevant to you. And it's in starting to include more. I'm seeing more feedback loops in that so that people can actually do that. So if somebody says, oh, the way we deliver what people need or what they want, it's just not there. It is. It's totally there. Is it perfect? No, but neither is neither is my Roku TV upstairs. I would say this is another area where our industry has caught up tremendously. Uh, and now, now why I say I think we might be over-indexing is two things. One, I think we're putting too much stake in personalizing content as the magic bullet. That if we somehow deliver people the right stuff, that it's going to change things. Now, again, this is a conversation I see pop up in my newsfeed all the time where people are debating back and forth whether or not whether or not learning content is relevant or our learning content library is dead. No, they're, they're not dead. There is value to it. There's tremendous value to it. Are we are we betting too many chips on that still? Yes. And I think that largely, again, this is why I think practitioners need to stay further ahead than we are, is a lot of times we're catching up to what the tech can do instead of being ahead of the tech and informing the tech what we need it to do. So I think what's happened is, what I've seen happen is the tech has moved really fast on being able to capture a lot of data points, have massive access to massive libraries of content and be able to better personalize this stuff. But because we weren't there yet, we're kind of looking forward at that saying, okay, we need to get to that and then our problem will be solved. And, and I can tell you the organizations that I, that I talk with and work with, even the ones that may be close to getting it, it's not the magic bullet. So I think I'm very happy to see we're there though, because there was no way with the volume of content that most organizations have, even small to medium organizations, once you start getting into it, they there's a lot of content there. The ability for anyone on a learning and development team to go through that, analyze it, tag it, figure out what it is, and then try and serve it up to people in a meaningful way, absolutely impossible. So I think the advancement here in personalization is not only freeing up our time a lot more. So again, if you're someone out there who's thinking, good grief, we've still got people going through and meta tagging and doing all this stuff and trying to figure out how to assign the right stuff to the right people at the right time. I would I would encourage you to dig more into the tech because the tech can do it now. The tech can do it now. Is it perfect? No. Is there still work you have to do? Absolutely. But a lot of this is being, is, is being pulled out of the system and being able to be done automatically. Now, again, just don't think that's the solution to thing. And I think this is the risk for the, the vendors now is I think we're probably at a point where yes, keep maybe working on improving the personalization. Sure. But my concern is that as I look at some of the things that are happening and some of the trends, we're still just diving deep on this. We're still betting chips on, well, if we just keep personalizing better, if we, if we tweak the algorithm, right, if we bring in more data points to inform what we're personalized to people, then we'll get it. And I would say, I don't know that that's where we should be investing quite as much of our energy right now. Now, again, not to say we, we hit the brakes and, and stop because otherwise everything else is going to get ahead of us. But this is one similar to virtual experience where I'm seeing us catch up to the consumer industry and in learning and development. I would say content personalization is largely catching up to the consumer industry and things we're seeing with other things like Amazon, again, Netflix, in, in other areas where 
ads and, and other data points are informing, hey, this is something that I think is relevant to you. Now, at the same time on personalization, this is another big one that is extremely positive. I think we're lagging a little bit behind still as an industry, but I also think we're, we're betting a little bit too much that this is the magic key. So learning in the flow of work is still a term that's being thrown around a lot, which is fine. Workflow learning, I use it in some of my conversations at Chen, where I talk about learning should be working and working should be learning. It's a different flavor, but we're still talking about this concept of how are we bringing learning closer to work? And we're getting better at it. We're getting better at it. I'm seeing way more integrations with things like Teams, Slack, Workplace, things like that. I'm seeing way more integrations in how we do that. However, this goes back to the personalization thing. Are we personalizing better, serving better stuff to people? Are we serving it to them where they are? Yes. Am I a little bit concerned that we might be over-indexing our, our bets that that's going to solve the problem? That's probably one cautionary tale that I would that I would throw out there right now is that just because you get your algorithm right on your content library or, or your learning libraries, and you're able to feed that into Microsoft Teams where people are doing their work that somehow that's magically going to change things. It's not. It's not going to do it. And I think, is it good we're there? Yes. I would say on the flow of work stuff, we've still got a little bit of ways to go. But one positive trend that I've seen in almost every platform that I've worked with is they're starting to open up more of their APIs so that we can do this. There used to be this trend of everybody was looking to build their own island. Every, every vendor wanted to be the destination for your employees to go. And there's been a recognition that I don't think that's what we really need to do. Now, not we're not all there. And I think sometimes we as L&D people are driving the reason the industry isn't there. We still sometimes hold on to this idea that we want people to spend their time in our space. We want them to have a tab open with our tech. And I think we need to I think we need to take that one out behind the shed because this is not what our workforce needs. Our workforce is not asking, "Hey, can you create another destination that I have to remember to bookmark and keep open in my 300 other browser tabs right now?" But we have to accept that because if we don't accept that, we're going to continue to push the tech industry to create fancier user interfaces and focus on, you know, frontline landing pages and customization to the landing pages and all these all these zip features, social feeds and da 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 da, da all these other things that really are duplications of what's happening in the employee experience. And this is this acceptance of this and this is where we got to get on this or we're going to fall behind. This is why we're seeing things like Microsoft Viva really start to gain steam. This is why employee experience tech is becoming the next big boom is there's an overall recognition by the organizations, by businesses that, hey, this isn't about creating our own island and expecting everyone to visit our islands. It's about creating one destination that's fed with all these things. So we need to kind of grasp onto that so that we can really encourage the tech industry to say, hey, we, we don't need that. We need more investment in integrations into our other systems. That's one thing. I have this on my list here of what I'm seeing with tech. While I would say more and more of the tech I'm seeing is opening up, is opening up their, their APIs and saying, hey, we can integrate. Okay. If you're doing an RFP right now and one of your checkboxes, which everybody's got the checkbox on the list, do you integrate with other platforms or some, something along those lines? Everyone at this point, for the most part, is going to say yes to that. Of course they do. Yeah, we've got an open API. We can tap into another system. The maturity of these integrations, maturity of these integrations is not necessarily where it should be from my perspective across the board. Are there some players who are crushing it in this space? And again, I said I wasn't going to mention names. There are some people who are crushing it in the integrations, who have accepted the fact that us being the destination of choice is not the goal. That is not the goal. The goal is to recognize whatever your destination of choice is, we can deliver to you there seamlessly. 
not everybody's there. And I think that is an area in this personalization rather than picking better courses to throw in front of people. Uh, I think the opportunity to say, Hey, how do we mature these integrations? So without having to bring in an IT team, without having to bring in all these things, we can seamlessly tap our tech into where people are. But the only way we're going to get there and the only way we're actually going to drive it by demand is if we accept that reality. If we're still determined to create the internet page or the landing page or whatever page, and we want that to be where everybody goes and we're competing for the 9 million other against the 9 million other things that probably are more important to the workforce than where do I go to look up my learning plan? It's a losing battle. And, and that's not to say throw in the towel because what we're doing is invaluable. It's that that's the wrong fight to be fighting. And so that would be the one thing that I see a lot of things happening, all good things, but I, I just really caution us in terms of how we're approaching it, that we don't end up pushing too much emphasis on this um, in, in some different ways. So Rudy, I see your question about skill analysis. I'm going to bring that one up towards the end because I actually have the measurement and analytics on my list. So I won't forget your question. I'm just going to come back to it in a little bit. But that's where I am on the personalization. Again, I would say out of all the things that I've seen in terms of advancements, this is by far the one that I've seen the most change in the last two years is, is this whole idea of personalizing primarily around content. Now, the other piece, though, that has exploded is personalization in terms of coaching and simulation, uh, more so in coaching than I would say in simulation. And when I say this, I the reason I bucket this in personalization is to me, coaching and simulation is an area where we're, we're, we're taking personalization to the next level. On, on level one, we're personalizing content. We're delivering more relevant stuff, which is good. It's not bad. It's a good thing. And I'm glad to see that we've now caught up for the most part, caught up with the consumer market, where coaching and, and simulation takes it to another level is now we're actually personalizing the learning experience, the actual experience and, and the individual, like what does this person need? Not on just a here's some stuff for you that may be relevant to you, but I'm actually getting to know your experience and doing something and dynamically shifting and shaping your skills within that experience. Uh, and, and that on the coaching scale, you, you just Google right now, coaching platform. I think the first several pages of Google are filled with them. This has been an area that has just blown up left and right is, is personalized coaching, things like that. Now you're, I'm seeing it in a lot of different areas. And so not all coaching is created equal. So you need to, if you're a practitioner watching this, you really got to know how to navigate this space because it's not as simple as it sounds because coaching right now is all over the board. So some of this coaching that we're seeing right now is technology that's allowing companies to have a portfolio of coaches where your people can tap into them. I think of the, the best comparison I can think of is telehealth now, right? You can, you can call up, you can get access to a doctor. You can kind of talk to them about their, that. That's in some regards, some of the coaching companies are coming into that space. you you can actually open the doors to your workforce and say, Hey, coaching's not just for the top tier people. Anybody can get a coach now and have coaching conversations. And is this a step above just delivering them better content? I would say yes, because now we're dealing with a dynamic two-way relationship. So this is extremely powerful, and I'm excited to see that we're we're doing this more. But you got to be careful because some of these coaching platforms, and again, this isn't a one's good, one's bad. It's just different. Some of them are providing more of this automated nudge nudge coaching. Some are mixing the two, but there's almost a spectrum of what I'm seeing in the coaching space. Some is it's taking, it's digitizing traditional coaching. It's making it more scalable is what the tech is doing. And you're still working one-on-one -on -one with a coach. It's a person. They're giving you personalized feedback, things like that. You're actually having conversations and dialogue and figuring out what your coaching plan is. On the other end of the spectrum is true automation where nobody's playing. Some of the, some of the theories and doomsday things out there are acting as though AI is now becoming, you're going to get an AI coach. 
I've yet to see it. I've yet to see anything human AI enough that would ever be something that you would really interact with like another individual. But where I am seeing the AI automate coaching on this end of the spectrum, I think I'm moving spectrums, right, is this idea of can we use AI to augment that coaching relationship? And some are just saying, maybe we don't need the relationship. We're just going to provide coach nudges, right? Personalized nudges. We're going to figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish. And then we're just going to nudge you. We're going to give you little behavioral nudges through different tech, whether it's your phone, a text message, things like that. Again, a really good thing. And then in the middle is the ones that are doing both. Uh, and then you still have your traditional one-on-one -on -one coaching, but most organizations can't, you can't scale that. It's too expensive. And so I think this democratized coaching is creating a level of personalization and making it accessible to organizations in ways never before possible. Now, to me, this is a this is a pretty significant innovation because going back to this levels of impact it can have, delivering more relevant content at more relevant times absolutely can have an impact. So I don't want to downplay that at all. It's an important step. Having a dynamic coach who can actually know what you're trying to accomplish and can hit you with what you need and actually shape your direction and path in different ways, that's, that's playing in a different league. And so the ability that we can now do this at the enterprise on a much larger scale is, is a positive. And I've, again, this is an area I have seen move up. This is largely, I think, been driven by the need that organizations are recognizing. They don't necessarily have the visibility into their workforce or know what they really need. And so the need exploded. So the industry followed. And so I think this is an opportunity again for us to get ahead of this, because if we wait and we just look forward and say, oh, great. So maybe someday we'll get to the point where we have a coaching platform and then we'll have solved our problems. We're, we're going to be chasing. We're going to be chasing it and it's going to stay ahead of us. And I think there's an opportunity for us to get ahead of it so we can look back and say, hey, what do we really need as an industry? Do we need more uh, access and more scalability to traditional coaching? Or should we be moving more towards how do we do this personalized nudge theory, these, these nudges, but expand it beyond the realm in which we're doing it right. We have an opportunity to influence that right now, but we've got to get caught up and we've got to know what's going on in coaching. But again, I just, I share that with what I'm seeing in coaching because I have seen a lot of people go down the path because coaching is the big boom right now and they're getting overwhelmed. They're getting ransacked because they're going into it thinking, yeah, we'll just go pick a coaching platform and they're not all the same and the diversification within them is massive and the way to use them, the impact they can have is very different. So again, but this adds to why I would say personalization is probably where I've seen the most transformation and change in our in in the field in the industry in terms of human performance technology over the last 2 years. So I'll take a pause there. I've, I Liz, I see your question here too. Da, 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 da. If the goal is to take on the offer with it. Okay. Good question. I'll, I'll get to this measurement one. I think this ties into Rudy and, and Liz. Uh, I'll, I'll bring these together. Now, I talked a little bit before. I'm not going to revisit this one at length because there's really no, no, no point. I talked about this before. This need for us to blur the lines between workplace tech and learning tech and really focus on employee experience. We're, we're just, as far as I'm concerned, we're early in stage on this. I would encourage us as practitioners to really get to know what's going on from an employee experience and what's going on in the workplace tech, because I see some risks on the horizon that are going to hit us if we don't get in front of this. So going back to this point of we need to step away from the idea that we need to create the island, the destination everyone wants to go. What I don't want us to do is walk away from that and say, well, Workplace tech is going gonna, is gonna to overtake us, so let's just focus on our little thing over here in our silo and we'll just tap into it. I don't think that's the right, I don't think that's the right play. I think there are going to be things that are, and I'm seeing it already right now in, in RFPs where people are saying, oh, well, Viva will do this, this, this EXP will do that. And I know for a fact from a 
deep capability standpoint, it can't. And so just throwing in the towel that workplace tech and employee experience is going to dominate and the need for our specialty capabilities and specialty skills isn't needed anymore is it's a false narrative. And the risk is if we just throw in the towel, we're going to get overtaken and we're going to be in this position that we were in, again, not going to mention vendors, but where some of the big HR vendors started claiming that they could do some of the capabilities of learning tech, but they didn't do it very well. But we ended up in the backseat suddenly going, wait, now we're stuck with this insufficient technology and I have no choice and I can't get out of it because this other bigger workplace HR tech said they could do it and now we're stuck. So I think this is why we need to stay in front of this because if we don't, that's exactly what's going to happen. Employee experience and workplace tech is going to take over, but they're not, they don't know the nuance of what we do. And so they're going to, it's going to look good on an RFP. It's going to say, oh yeah, no, we've got, we've got that. We've got this and that we can do on. Here's one, one example of it. We can do onboarding. Can you though? Do you actually know what onboarding from a learning and development standpoint is? You don't. And I think this is a risk that we have to be able to help shape and influence. But for us to do this, we got to stay close to where the tech is. Uh, Steve, let me take a look here. Our peer says technology is being used now in the L&D space to develop skills. Mm, good question. Okay, this is a, lots of questions on measurement. So maybe I'll, I'll try and move quicker to that one. Um, I'll do this. I'll do this right after this. Um, actually, no, you know what? I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to go to measurement and analytics because lots of questions are coming in on this. And so I'm going to spend some time here. This continues to be the biggest area of opportunity in the space, in my opinion. I, I continue to look at what the technology is doing, what it can do, how it's approaching skills. I'm, I'm not, I personally have not been bamboozled or wowed by what we can do from an assessment and and actual measurement standpoint. So it's measuring things, all the tech, any tech right now, don't be fooled by dashboards and, and things like that. Any tech right now should be able to deliver some sort of easy to digest dashboard of what's going on. But scratching beneath the surface and understanding is what it's sharing with us actually doing anything? Is that actually telling me a story or giving me data that's telling me any sort of meaningful information? That that to me is still an area of opportunity. Uh, so, so, you know, for you, Rudy, your question of how do we take skills need analysis at a smaller company? It's not just smaller companies that I would say are struggling with this right now. It's big companies trying to understand where the gaps are from a skill standpoint we aren't seeing the diverse look going back to what I said much earlier on. Uh, actually, no, it was another conversation I was having. Anyway, a lot of the things that are doing skill analysis right now, even some of the skill platforms that are doing skill analysis right now, they're still looking at it through one lens. They're looking at it through the data that they have on skills, which unfortunately is a really incomplete picture. So imagine you're, I think of the, you know, I don't have a good analogy, so I'm not even going to come up with it. But if you're looking at skills through one lens, you're not actually seeing the actual skill profile. So you're not actually seeing what the workforce can do. So a lot of these technologies now are doing skill analysis based on the data set that they have, which is very narrow. And so for a skill analysis, like you're talking about, Rudy, even at a large enterprise where you may have thousands of hundreds of thousands of data points, but they're all coming through one lens. It's not necessarily helping us identify, well, where are the real skill gaps? Like what are truly the skill gaps? Because it's based on if it's a content curation platform, it's based on what content are people interacting with? Well, that doesn't necessarily tell me a whole lot about some of this. Now, this is where learning and people analytics is exploding right now. But there are some vendors, and again, I said I'm not going to name names, but there are a handful of vendors now who are actually taking a multifaceted look at skills. They're not just looking at whatever the technology piece is and trying to determine this. I see this as an opportunity 
for some of these tech platforms to, and again, the question will become then are we competing with the people analytics platforms or should we be looking to people analytics platforms and be pushing our tech to integrate our data sets into the people analytics platforms? That's a chicken and the egg debate that we could have right now. I think it's going to be who's first to market with this, who's the first to really go there and push it. But to your point, Rudy, right now, getting an in-depth skill analysis for a smaller company or a larger company is extremely challenging right now. I just looked at some survey data the other day uh, and I actually posted about it. I think only 15% of companies in the world right now have any confidence in what they know about the skills of their organization. So that leaves 85% of the rest of the world going, I don't really believe or have any confidence that what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing is accurate in terms of this. Now, this is a huge area of focus for me right now. And I think this is an area where our tech, our tech and our vendors can help. And again, there's a few players out there that are doing this well, but this is one of the biggest opportunities right now is to figure out how do we accurately and effectively measure skills within the workforce. Now, the thing is, we've got the data to do it. We've got the data to do it with, especially now in the last two years, as the entire workforce has been popped out of the office and everybody's in these digital platforms that's capturing all of this data that's telling us a wealth of information about it. We've got more angles onto skills, you know, more lenses looking at skills than we can. But right now, all these things are disconnected and separated. And so it's, it's, extremely challenging to be able to actually get a solid read on what's going on. So the best the best advice I can give large or small enterprises is there are a handful of people who are specializing in this. Um, I would say they're worth having a conversation with to kind of figure out. It, don't just trust on your HR data. Any, any organization I talk to now says they have more confidence in LinkedIn data on their people and what their people can do than they do about their internal data. So there are a handful of companies that are actually working to pull all these data sets together and actually deliver a blueprint of, hey, where are your gaps? What do you, you know, what really should you be working on? So that's probably the best I can advice I can give right now. But again, I also see that as an opportunity for some of these tech players to start coming in and saying, we've got a major lens. We've got a major lens looking at skills rather than us continuing to try and diversify the way we're delivering on it, how can we maybe pull other things in to get more predictive and actually have analytics on skills and gaps in the organization to inform us as practitioners, what should we be focused on? Priorities, we've only got so much capacity and right now we're getting yanked in a lot of different directions. So that's, like I said, I, I don't have a good answer for this right now, Rudy, because it is a gap. It is a gap and there's a few players who are, are filling it, but not nearly enough to give people confidence into what we have right now. Um, for so Liz, but this ties to your question of, is there a need for this single source of truth for L&D measurement? I think the, the point I would make to your question of, yes, you're absolutely right that with all this skill development and disruption happening all over, do we need a single source of truth? Yes, but I don't know that it's an L&D single source of truth. This goes back to what I was saying before in terms of we're in a chicken and the egg type situation right now where it's a, and, and this is where if you don't have a people analytics team, you have an opportunity for L&D to be that single source of truth. If you have people analytics, then it really should be a partnership with them. And rather than fighting over saying, no, we're going to build our L&D analytics measurement empire and you're going to build yours and we're going to fight over whose is better. We need to draw a truce and say, Can, let's just work together. It doesn't really matter who owns it and where it sits. Let's just make sure that we're doing it. So is there a need for a single source of truth? Yes. And I think that's what many organizations right now are scrambling to figure out is, one, what are the right data sets to actually create that single set of truth and where do we pull them from and who owns it? And so this is an opportunity area for some organizations where L&D, this may not be a conversation your organizations are having. And if you're a practitioner, this can be a conversation you can lead to say, we want to be that, but you need to come to the table with a plan. 
you can't just say we want to be that and have no plan on how you're going to do that. And that's where I think there are a handful of places you can turn right now to start doing that. But you may be better set saying, you know, I, I would rather partner with the group that's actually specializing on this than trying to create my own empire. And I think that's a lesson. To me, history is life's greatest teacher. We can look back on this and we should learn this lesson from trying to create our own destination for L&D. We know how that went. We sat and battled and fought for how many years trying to create the most impactful place that every employee is going to go and we realized we were fighting the wrong battle. I don't want us to do this when it comes to learning talent analytics that we end up fighting this battle of trying to be the right destination to be the single source of truth when being the single source of truth doesn't really matter. Contributing to the single source of truth and using what that single source of truth has to offer, that's what matters and that's what we should be fighting for. And I think that's how we can be pushing and influencing the industry from a tech standpoint to say, how can you help us do that? How can you help us take this data you have and pull it together? And if we don't have a place to pull it, then fine, let us be that place. But if not, we don't need to. Let's give up that fight and let's focus more on what we can do. Um, Steve, to your question about peer assessment technologies, uh, I'm not 100% sure I'm... a clear on what you mean by peer assessment, as if you mean like peer reviewed assessment or your peer is assessing you type of a thing. And I think it's the latter. So I'll answer it if it's the latter. And if I'm wrong, then, then just let me know. But this is kind of going to a trend that the technology is pushing us in. And I think it's a, it's a trend that we should follow, which is the lines are blurring between learning, talent acquisition, talent management, talent... These these arbitrary lines that for so long we've drawn to say, you know, because to your question, Steve, in HR, historically, we would say, well, that's not really learning and development. That's talent management. That's our that's our performance management technology. That's what's doing peer assessment. And is that growing? Not only do I spend a lot of time with learning tech, I spend a ton of time with just HR and, and people tech. The answer is, yeah. I think every performance management technology right now is exploring the reality that we can't just look at your manager's input on a person. That doesn't tell us a complete picture about anything. We should be looking across the peer horizontal. We should be looking across the leadership down from different angles because there is a greater recognition that the more lenses we have looking at an individual and the, the more we're cutting the lenses that we look at them through, the better and more accurate picture we're actually getting. So the answer is yes. Is it in the L&D space? Not necessarily, but this is where I'm seeing the line starting to blur. And I think this is where organizations who may be smaller and be may start being having to ask the question, well, do we specialize in a tech? Do we go more general? Those are the kind of things that you should be looking for because those are, again, that question, Steve, ties into how do we create a more comprehensive view into the skills of people. And one of them is to be capturing information from more than just their manager. Now, granted, is that an L&D thing or not an L&D thing? That's, that's not a debate I even think is worth fighting because the debate is more, well, who cares? Is it happening? If it's not happening, then you should be pushing for it. Should it be coming from your learning and development tech? Maybe but it might be being captured somewhere else and you just need to find out if it's there so you can tap into it. So um, again, I think I answered your question, but, but if not, let me know uh, on how you're thinking about that. Okay, so uh, Liz, let me look at your other question here. Assuming a context where you have, for example, some coaching tech, LXP survey, da, 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 multiple platforms together. Oh, yes. Um, yes, you're, you're right, Liz. That wasn't a question. Okay, so let me go back to something else that I'm seeing explode that, that I think is worth noting. So another area that is slow to pick up but is quickly gaining steam is real-time system guidance. I'm having these conversations on a regular basis, and the, the reality is this digital transformation 
that every company's going through where it's not just L&D that's throwing more tech at the workforce. It's literally everyone in the company is saying, hey, we went digital. We got this new Whatchamadusa tool. And hey, we're over in comp and compliance and we got this new thing that you need to do. There is tech fatigue wreaking havoc on the organization. And this is where digital adoption platforms are, are they're coming. And if you're not familiar with them, you should be. I got a question when I did a, uh, I told you I wouldn't, I told you I wouldn't mention names, but since you asked like, is it like that boss? Yes. Walk me is an example of a digital adoption tech. There's a lot of them out there. What fix user lane apti. Um, there's a bunch. So I'm mentioning names. So nobody thinks I'm advocating for one in particular, but these digital adoption platforms, if you listen to my live Q and a session, somebody asked, what's the second most important technology after the LMS, I actually would almost elevate a digital adoption platform above the LMS right now, because digital fatigue is crushing, crushing the workforce and the legacy approach to learning and development of well, we'll put to even if you're doing it in a modern way, okay. Even if you're not doing it old school, where you're like, "Hey, new system rolls out, we're going to do 379 webinars and we're going to push out 49 e-learnings." And and again, that's an exaggeration, but right, that's how we've often handled system change. Was we're going to do a big awareness campaigns, we're going to push out a lot of training, and we're going to do all this. We got to flip that on its head and say no. We're not going to train anybody on systems because they're burnt out on systems and they have no capacity to even keep track of how or what they're trying to do. They're using them for five minutes and they're bounced this just when they get the hang of a system, we change it because now you hear you shouldn't have any tech in your ecosystem for more than three to five years. Well, good grief. Three years in an implementation is just the infancy of adoption. In, in, in traditional terms. So when you think about how fast this stuff is moving and you think about the capacity this is sucking out of your workforce, it's crushing. I mean, this is a death blow to the organization right now. This is a death blow. And this is an opportunity for us to lean in and say, we can help rather than mentally fatiguing everyone with traditional, with, tra yeah, Jack, <laughs> rather than mentally fatiguing them with, all this stuff and they need to know and they need to be able to use it and but forget it forget it i've been using digital adoption platforms since they were even like really a thing and they are are very impactful done right now again i am very cautious when i start talking about digital adoption platforms because people walk into these things going oh these are the silver bullet if we get this just like we said before, oh, when we get to coaching, then our problems are solved. When we get to personalized content, then our problems are solved. When we get to digital adoption, that no, no, that's not it. But is this a huge backpack filled with lead bricks sitting on the backs of our workforce that we have an opportunity to say, hey, let us help you. Let us help you. We, we sit and talk about performance. This is really an opportunity for us to impact performance, but it is not getting enough attention from our industry because it's not seen as a learning thing. Because in fact, we're asking people not to learn. That by definition is what we're doing with real-time performance support is saying, we don't want you to learn it. Don't learn it. You might learn it over time because you're doing it so much, but I don't really care if you learn it. I'm just going to tell you how to do it so you can be done and move on with your day. That is a big mindset shift for learning people because it's like, <gasps> what? And, and, and we have to be able to break that mindset and recognize that telling people not to learn needs to become part of our portfolio. I don't want you to learn it. I want your head and space spent on something else, not learning this thing that has absolutely no tangible value to your job. Now, that was a bit of a big rant on this digital adoption piece. Um, but yeah, Jack, <laughs> the, the, Job aids were better than the traditional legacy training approach, right? Where we're just going to kill you with a ton of stuff. But it's, this is where we have a chance to get it right. And so I think this is something that's in its infancy. I would say it's not in its infancy in other parts of the business. And this is going to be one. I'm just warning L&D people. This is one. Ignore at your peril 
Because if you do what's going to happen, a commercial enablement, a sales enablement group, some other HR systems group, someone else is going to find this and everybody's going to look at you and go, where were, where were you on this? Where were you on this one? And, and you're going to be standing there going, oops. So this is one that, again, it's, it's less of a, hey, should everybody run out and do this and just blindly do it? No, that's not what I'm saying. But if this is a gap that you go, I've, I'm not super familiar with this. What are you talking about? You should be. Um, good grief. You know what? I, uh, shoot, I have a mean, so I'm going to have to wrap. But I may have to continue this one because there's a lot more to go. I'm only halfway through. I'm only halfway through and we're at an hour. So let me see what I can get through in, in four minutes. The next one is immersive tech. This is a bit of a, a cannon fodder when, when I get into conversations about this. When it comes to immersive tech, you've got people who they think it's the future. You've got other people who hate it and think it's a giant waste of time and, and all this. I would say we're somewhere in between. Am I seeing, and here's the risk, am I seeing us, some of us jump on this bandwagon with a legacy L&D hat? Yes. And if that's what you're doing with it, I would caution you real quick, you're going down a path and I know how that path ends. If you're looking to immersive tech to solve the same problems you were trying to solve with content or your, your previous approaches, Stop what you're doing right now. Now, the tech is catching up. So this is the reality with immersive tech. There's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, this is inaccessible. This requires too much. It's too much hardware. We're, we're a long ways out from that. We're not. We are not if you're thinking about it right. Um, you know, if you're, yeah, if you're wanting to go full blown in, it's a big investment, fine. If you're wanting to just have it do what you were going to do before, just in a different way. This goes back to this virtual meetings thing. Really? Who wants to, who wants to join a zoom meeting, but now you can't just join a zoom meeting. Now you got to go find your VR headset, put on your VR headset so you can sit around a table and look at the same people you were looking at before. I mean, this is where we've got to be really careful with immersive tech, because to me, there is huge potential with it right now. The tech is catching up fast. And this is going to be another one. If we don't stay on top of it, it's going to be in front of us before we know it. And in many regards, it already is, but it's going to hit other parts of the organization and everybody's going to be looking back at L&D going, where were you? Where were you on this? And, and we're going to be standing there doing a little bit of a, you know, oh, I don't know. Sorry. So again, do I think everybody needs to run out and make VR the next priority for them? No, I don't. But should you be exploring the possibilities of immersive tech right now, what's happening with augmented reality, what's happening with virtual reality right now, and, and not just kind of going, ha, huh, what a joke. Do that at your peril. I will just tell you that right now. Do that at your peril. I would say this is an area that, again, again, we have an opportunity to shape this. If we wait, it's not going to be good because it's either going to go down the wrong path or someone else is going to get to it first and we're going to be, and we're going to be the tail on the dog where right now it's still in its infancy and we have a chance to get in front of it and actually shape the way our organizations think about it. We have an opportunity to shape the way the tech industry is, is thinking about it and the way they're designing it and building it. And so I think this is another one similar to digital adoption where it's not getting a lot of press. VR immersive tech probably is getting more press, but I don't know if it's the right press. And I think we may be thinking about it wrong in the way we're representing it. So it is democratizing experience. And I think I'll close on this and then maybe I'll have to do another one of these for the other 10 trends I've seen over the last two years is with immersive tech, um, this is a new skill set for us. We as an industry have not been an experience based function. We have thought primarily in terms of content and I'm seeing this in immersive tech and I'm seeing this in simulation. We have to not abandon our content hats. Don't abandon it. We still need it. It still needs to be there, but we need to start learning how to wear experience hats and think about experience and not content experience. We need to be thinking about how do we get people doing, practicing, building skills by, by doing, and how are we enabling that? And that is a different animal 
even simulation. You talk to an instructional designer who's built a business simulation versus versus an e-learning and you say, do you take the same approach? Anyone who's done a good job on both will be like, that is a wildly different animal that you're wrestling with. And so I think this is something where immersive tech is huge, but I don't know that we've got the strength and skills and capacity and capability to do it right right now. And again, we've got a chance to get in front of it. It's still early stage. As much as I've talked to VR places, they're still in early stage. So we've got a chance to get ahead or stay right in parallel with them um, without it getting in front of us. So I'm I'm way over. I'm going to have to do a, a secondary session on this. Um, but thank you so much, everybody, for jumping in. Thanks for the engagement. Hopefully you got something out of this conversation. And again, I, this is only the surface of where things are at. So I will do a part two I don't know when, at some point here in the very near future to kind of continue on where I was. Have a wonderful rest of your Friday. Have a great weekend. And uh, we will talk again soon. I'll be back next Tuesday with a special one. I'm going to be diving into the science of learning on Tuesday with the author of Making It Stick and the CEO of Trivi. Uh, so join us then. And then I'll be back on Friday with uh, J.D. Dillon from Exonify. So you all have a wonderful weekend and uh, we will see you again soon.